Our scripture reading this morning is going to be from Psalm chapter 14. It's on page 453 in your pew Bible, or I think it's also going to be projected, so you can follow along as I read. Oh, this is a... um, this is another one of the lament psalms that we are going through as, as part of our preparation for Easter. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. Good morning, Chatham Bible Church. Uh, It is a privilege for me to be in front of you this morning. If the elder, one of our elder, is the, uh, on the C level, I am the D level. Uh, I was called in uh, Thursday morning. I received a text from Pastor Sege. Hey, can you give me a call? I was worried. I was like, whoa, what's going on? This... Well, he actually called me first, and then he texted me. And, uh, you know, sometimes I would like to think that Usually when I'm called to do something, I like to respond like Moses. I don't, Lord, I don't have the qualifications. I don't feel like I can do it. But usually that's not the case. I'm always saying yes and eager, and then I realize, oh, man, what did I just did? (laughs) You know, but um, I'm always eager to preach. I'm always eager to proclaim the word of the Lord, and I'm always eager to to be in front and, and speak what the Lord has to to share, and um, one of the things that I always used to look forward uh, growing up in Panama, so November through like January, so November we, the month of November we celebrate our Independence Day, Mother's Day, uh, Independence Day from Colombia, from Spain, there's, there's so many celebrations happening, and then we are out of school, and then we're looking forward for Christmas and New Year's, and looking forward to eating and feasting, so many celebration and happening uh, during those three months, you know, from November all the way through the month of January. And it feels like it's a never-ending celebration. You don't want it to end. You want to remain in that state of celebration and, and enjoyment. But all good things must come to an end. All good things must come to an end, and there's the some Monday blues, however you want to call it, where it's, oh, man, I don't want to go back to work. And uh, here in America, the same thing. We, we celebrate 4th of July. We look forward to Christmas and, and the New Year's. And 
you know, and it's a great time. It's a great time to enjoy time with families and friends, opening up gifts. And we look forward to those days. We look forward to a day in which this will not end. And uh, for me, I am looking forward to a day in which there's going to be feasting for the rest of our life. I am looking forward to the day where pain, sorrows, and difficulties, and stress, anxiety is completely gone. I am looking forward to that day. And so if you are like me, looking forward to the day in which Christ returned, in order for that to happen, something good had to end in order for the everlasting feast to inaugurate. And that's what's going to be our focus this morning. Um, the sermon title for today is Feasting with the Kid. Feast, a feast with the kid. And in a sentence, is this. Jesus brings the new and everlasting covenant as a true Passover lamb to feast with him. And our passage that we're going to be reading is from Mark chapter 14, verse 12 to 31. And if you use in the Pew Bible, it's going to come from page 850. And if you do not have a Bible, please take it with you. This is the greatest gift that you can receive. Here's, when you open up the word of God, here's how you can start looking forward to the day in which Christ will return. Again, our passage of Scripture is going to be from Mark chapter 14, verse 12 to 31. Will you stand with me as we read the word of the Lord, as you are able? Mark chapter 14, verse 12 to 31. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and whatever, wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large open road, furnished and ready, there prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when evening, and, when it, was, and it was evening, he came with the 12, and they were reclining at the table, eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and said to him, one after another, is it his I? He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who dips, who's dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And they were eating. He took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take it. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, 
He gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink in, a new, in the new kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went to Mount Olive. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, this very night before the rooster crowed twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all say the same. The word of the Lord, you may be seated. So God, three points that I want to unfold as we look at the word of the Lord. Um, point number one is going to be the purpose of the Passover and its limitations. The purpose of the Passover and its limitation. The second point is the purpose of the Lord's Supper and the unlimited power of the Lord. The purpose of the Lord's Supper and the unlimited power of the Lord. And point number three is this. We're going to see examples of self-preservation that leads to destruction and the preserving power of Jesus that leads into salvation. Examples of self-preservation that leads to destruction and the preserving power of Jesus that leads into salvation. And so... This first part that we're going to focus is we're going to look at the Passover and the significance of the Passover. It was, it was a great thing. It was a great thing that happened. It was something that um, was pointing to something greater. And so I'm going to be looking at Mark um, verse 12 to 17. And on the first day of Olivet bread, when they finished, when they sacrificed the Passover line, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master, the house, to the house, the teacher said, Where's my guest room, where I will eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready, there, prepared for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found just as he has told them, and they prepared the Passover. So few observations. Number one, um, Usually, a man is not the one carrying the jar of water. It's usually women that, in this um, time and setting, will be the one doing so. So the, the purpose of Jesus pointing that out is like, hey, this is going to be something very evident. This is something that does not happen. The other point of observation is to see that the Lord already had everything prepared. Right? The disciples are looking forward to, to prepare the Passover. It is an annual feast that they celebrate. Um, it was inaugurated the day in which the people of Israel were free from slavery. It was the day in which, um, you know, the Lord sent Moses uh, to Pharaoh, and he brought ten plagues, requesting for Pharaoh to let his people go. 
and Pharaoh would not do so. So the Lord finally brought the ten plagues. He put a plan together saying, hey, on this day, I need you guys to, you know, sacrifice a lamb and take the blood of the lamb and take the blood and mark the top of your door. Because on that day, I will come by and I will pass over you. But the firstborn of the people of Egypt, all the firstborn, we will take it away. And so the people of Israel did as the Lord called them to do. And so that became a, one of the many celebrations that commemorated the freedom that the people of Israel received from slavery, from the captivity from Pharaoh. They were in captivity for 400 years. And one thing that we, we, we got to notice is that, we're going to come back to this, in order for freedom to take place, sacrifice must happen. In order for freedom to take place, sacrifice must happen. In this instant, in this case, for the people of Israel uh, was the lamb. For the Egyptian, no one was spared. The firstborn was taken. And so, and this happened because Pharaoh hardened his heart. Rather than seeing what was taking place, all of their gods were, were attacked, you know, frogs, and many plagues came upon him. Rather than Pharaoh said, you know what? This is the true God. I'm going to submit to him. I'm going to let his people go. No. He, he hardened his heart. He wanted to keep the key people. He wanted to keep them in slavery. So the Lord finally brought an end to Pharaoh. And even after he let the people go, Pharaoh saw that they were wandering, and they're like, well, this is my opportunity to get them back. That's how hardened Pharaoh was. And as they were crossing um, the river, Pharaoh thought, well, I can't do the same. How blinded he was that finally he brought an end to his destruction. So the purpose of the Passover was, was to show God's favor towards the people of Israel. It was nothing that the people of Israel did that, that granted them that benefit, that granted them um, a, a blessing from the Lord, sparing from there his wrath. There was nothing that they did. It was all along the Lord choosing his, these people in order for them to be a blessing to the nation. So they passed over. It was God passing over his wrath over the people of Israel. If one of them did not obey God's commandment, their firstborn would have been taken away. So this became a, a, a ceremony. This became something that the people of Israel would celebrate, and then they would look forward to this, just like we look forward to the birth of Jesus, just like we look forward to Easter, just like we look forward to his return. They look forward to celebrating um, the Passover. But there was limitation in the Passover. There was limitation. It was not sufficient to take away the sin of the people of Israel. It was not sufficient to take away the wrath of God. It was not sufficient to cleanse them from their sin. It was not sufficient. It was not enough. That's why they had to continually sacrifice. That's why they had to continually go into the temple. And then once a year, they had, they had to go into the innermost. Because it was not sufficient. It was not sufficient to take away our sin. Blood was required. 
Something spotless, something perfect was required, but a lamb could never be sufficient. A lamb is not a representative. It is an animal. There needs to be someone who represents us. There needs to be a second Adam who comes into this world to take away the sins of humanity for us to be able to experience a cleansing. If you want to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 to 14, we will see how the writer of Hebrews described the sacrificial system and the different things that um, the Israelites were involved and how he points out it was not enough. Something greater needed to happen in order for us to be restored to God and in order for us to have a relationship with one another. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 to 14. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is now of this creation, Enter once and for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calf, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of the foul person with the ashes of heifer satisfy for the fortification of the blood, how much more, more, how much more with the blood of Christ through purification? Purification of the flesh, sorry, through the eternal spirit, offer himself without blemish to God, purifying our consciousness from dead words to serve the living God. So we see here the writers Hebrews pointed out, yes, the sacrifice was cool, but it was not enough. Something greater needed to happen. Something better. And so the Passover is not enough. And that is for us who at times, there are many individuals who um, follow religious practice, follow certain ideologies and ideas, thinking, well, if I attend church, if I, you know, do communion, do that communion is not bad, do, do I get baptized? There, there are certain religious practices that we do that we think that these are the things that make me right with God. These are the things that allow me to have a relationship with him. The truth of the matter, those are dead works. It's dead works. The true living work is the work that Jesus Christ accomplished at the cross. The Passover point to something greater, better and everlasting. It was a significant event where the firstborn of Israel was spared, yet it came with limitation. The blood of the lamb was never sufficient. Year by year, sacrifices had to be made. These were the limitations. They were never able to fully atone for our sins, removed from us from the wrath of God. Rather, they barely spared them from the wrath of God. It was just a spare. It was, it was not enough. So the Passover was pointing to something greater. The Jews still celebrate the Passover to this day, looking for the coming of the Messiah. But he has already come. He has already accomplished the work. He has already inaugurated the new kingdom. He has already provided his blood to cleanse us from our sins. And for us who have trusted in Jesus Christ, we benefit from that. Now we have been cleansed. So it was not enough. There was a significant event because this was pointed to the coming of Jesus. It was not enough. So now let us look at, so we're going we're gonna to go back to the middle of the passage where it talks about the betrayal of Jesus 
and that's going to be the third point. So we're going to jump to uh, verse 22 to 26, and we're going to talk about the, the purpose of the Lord's Supper and the unlimited power of what was accomplished. And they were eating. He took bread, and after blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take this, it's my body. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which I pour out for many. Truly I said to you, I will not drink it again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink in the new kingdom of God. And they sung a hymn, and they went to the Mount Olive. So the hymn was part of the celebration of the Passover. There were cert, cert, they would eat the meals, they would eat certain things, and they would sing hymns. And uh, what I want to really focus on the importance of the, the Lord's Supper. We, we celebrate the Lord's Supper um, each week when we gather together. It's a, as a commemoration of what was accomplished at the cross. What was accomplished? What is it that Jesus did for us? And I'm very thankful that we have, we partake in this sacrament. There are two sacraments that we partake. Baptism, commemorating our new birth, the resurrection, and the Lord's Supper, uh, commemorating and celebrating his death uh, on the cross that, and the washing of our the breaking of the body, the payment for our sin and his blood being poured out for us so that we can experience his cleansing. During the Last Supper with his apostle, Jesus took two symbols associated with the Passover. So he's, he's taking something that they already had, and he's now connecting it to the inauguration of the new covenant. I mentioned as part of, of my introduction, in order for something good to come, right, Something good must come to an end. The Passover needed to end. It was not enough. It was not sufficient. It did not have the power to restore us to God. It did not have the power to free us from slavery, even though the Egyptians were free from their captors. It did not have the power to free us from our own slavery of sin. It did not have the power to pay our payment. We were still, we're going to be recipient of the wrath of God. You know, this is why Jesus was looking forward to celebrating the Passover with them. Because he was going to inaugurate the new kingdom in which we are now. Right? We ain't already not yet. In Jesus coming into earth, the inauguration of the new kingdom began. Now the new king is sitting on his throne and he's ruling and so now we're looking forward to that day in which we're going to be returning to him. So the symbols, the, the bread, is, is, is his body being torn apart for our sins, for our iniquities, for our transgressions. So brothers and sisters, when we partake in the Lord's Supper, remember, remember what that bread represents. You were not crushed. We were not crushed for our iniquities. We were not crushed for our sins. He was. So remember what's happening. This is not something that you just come into the table because, well, this is what everybody does. We must take it serious. 
This is what Paul said, do not partake in it if you have not come to faith in Jesus Christ. Because you're not doing anything. You're not getting anything from eating of that bread. There's nothing. What is being accomplished is, have I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ? He took the penalty. He paid for my sins. He was crushed for me. And on that, I rely. On that, I secure my faith. So when you partake of it, remember. Remember what has happened. Remember what has taken place. And the blood is the representation of his blood being spilled. We didn't spill a drop of blood. Maybe when you cook it and stuff like that. I mean, how painful it feels when you get a paper cut. I mean, it's painful, right? It's annoying too. But remember, when you drink it of that cup, it's the cleansing power of Jesus. It was just not, okay, I was crushed for for your sins. Ah, there was the crushing of your sin, but there's something needed to happen. You needed to be cleansed. You needed to be cleansed. If the blood of Jesus is not spilled, there is no cleansing for our sins. We'll still not in, in good grace since we got. We like we become kind of like a neutral check, right? There, there is, you know, like that word propitiation, right? You know, it's, it's Jesus paying for our sin, but making us favorable to God. So it's like when Jesus was crushed, right? He 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 paid for us. He paid for the penalty, but that does not makes us favorable to God, right? What makes us favorable to God is his cleansing power. You know, now we become recipients of all of the blessings of the new kingdom. Every blessing that you see in Scripture is yours. But the blood of Jesus must be spilled. So remember, when you partake in the Lord's Supper, when you drink of that cup, Remember, this blood has been spilled for me so I can be cleansed, so that I can have a relationship with God, so I can be restored to one another. That's what the Lord's Supper is pointing to. And the, the, the Lord's Supper, it has unlimited power. Why? Right? The, the Passover was limited. Right? You only spare the firstborn, you only spare the Israelites, you only spare them, but they did not make them favorable with God. I mean, they received favor from God, but there was no true relationship. If you remember, I mean, they, they oh, yes, we're free, we are out, and then they get in front of the river, and they're like, oh, Moses, what are you doing, man? We were better, let's just go back. We're going to die. There was no cleansing, there was just nothing, there was no affection. They crossed the river. I mean, if you, you read through, through, um, through the, the Pentateuch, you, you see the Israelites grumble and complain. And when I first read that, I said, man, these people complain a lot. But then I'm like, man, I am not different. I am not. Right? They needed the cleansing power of Jesus. And so there was limitations in the Passover, but in the Last Supper, there's absolutely no limitations for us. We're going to continue to read through Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23 to 28. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23 to 28. Thus it was necessary for the copy of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, 
but the heaven did itself with better sacrifice than this. For Christ has entered now into the holy place made with hands, which are a copy of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, nor was to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest entered the holy places every day with bloods, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once and for all and the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it was appointed for men to, for men to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time not to deal with sin but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. That's the unlimited power of what we partake. Jesus entered once and for all. He died once and for all. Everything he has ended. And for those who have put a trust in him, who are eagerly waiting for him, he will return. And you will be feasting with him. You know, I joke around that every time that we say we will feast at the house of Zion, I'm like, hey, please, not not, not our house. This is talking for a future day in which we're going to be with the Lord, enjoying his kingdom, and enjoying each other forever. So the, the blood of Jesus, his cleansing power, is sufficient enough to cleanse you from all of your sins. Does that mean that we are going to be perfect every single time? No. No. But we go to him. We confess our sin. He faithfully just to forgive us. In the Lord's Supper, and in the declaration that Jesus made, and the actions that he took, we witness the boundless power of the greatest sacrifice, Jesus on the cross. Through Jesus sacrificing himself, all who believe are not merely spared, are not merely free from slavery, but we are saved from his wrath. We are brought into communion with God, which is the main goal to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We are reconciled to each other. And now we are eagerly anticipating to feast with him. Eagerly awaiting to feast with him. We partake in the Lord's Supper as a remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. That's what we partake into. That's what we partake to. So when we partake in the Lord's Supper, yes, be, be joyful, but also remember what was happening, remember what was took place, and look forward to the day in which he returns. Now, so point one was the purpose of the Passover and its limitation. The purpose of the Lord's Supper and its unlimited power. And now we're going to look at examples of Self-preservation that leads into destruction and the preserving power of Jesus that leads to salvation. So I was trying to compare and 
Let's look at Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. Cain did not start to keep for himself the best. We can assume that he presented the best to the Lord. Not necessarily like the, 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 the presented first, but also he presented himself, presented his heart. And Abel said, so well, I'm just going to do whatever. And the Lord gives Cain a chance. Hey, sin is, is crouching at the door. Do what is right. Do what is right. And rather than Cain choosing to do what is right, he hardened his heart. He sought to preserve himself. He sought to preserve his, his own statue, whatever he may feel that he was entitled to. And led his, his own demise. And led his, his own destruction. Yes, Abel died. But we read in Hebrews, he's presented as the heroes of faith. He's with the Lord. He's with him. Now Cain is suffering the consequence of his sin. Let's look at Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Rather, and let's look at the people of Israel. Rather than Pharaoh saying, you are the one true God, you are the mighty God, I'm going to submit to you, I'm going to obey. I mean, he chose to harden his heart. The Israelites, on the other hand, they were preserved by the power of God. They were spared. So it had nothing to do with what they did, but it had to do with the work of God. But we see in Pharaoh, it, it's a man that went to the end rather than sin and observing. He was so blinded by his own sin. He was so blinded to preserve his authority and his power that it led to his own Destruction. Let's look at Saul and David. Saul begot great. You know, he went and, and were able to defeat the Philistine, but then after that, he decided to take things into his own hand. I am the king. I have the right to do this. Well, um, prophet, what's his name? I'll drive like the prophet that was serving him. Instead of him waiting uh, for Samuel, there you go. Instead of waiting for Samuel, Saul decided to, no, I'm, I'm going to do myself. And instead of Saul saying, I have sinned against you, Lord, he said, please, please, can you spare me? He was all about preserving himself. And that, that led from him and his lineage losing his kingdom. But we see David. David did fail. David did sin against the Lord with Bathsheba. And rather than David, he did try to cover it up. But Nathan came and, and confronted him, and we see a completely different response. He recognizes that he sinned against God, and we see that he's preserved. Because he was not trying to, okay, let me, co oh, let me cover this up. Oh, Nathan, don't say nothing to these people. I want to preserve my kingdom. I want it to be viewed as the greatest of them all. Please don't say anything. He recognizes what he has done. There is consequence for his actions. We have to recognize that there are consequences for our sin. No sin goes without consequence. But yet, we see that there's a preserving power taking place. The Lord is the one that preserves it. And let us look at Judas 
that the 11 disciples. Judas betrays Jesus. He was with Jesus for, for, for three years. He was in the presence of, of the Lord. He was with him. He was as the Lord was saying, look, Judas, hey, I know that you're going to betray me, but come on, man. See the things that I'm doing. Don't harden your heart. Turn away from your sin. See my teachings. But, but Judas was all about me, myself, and I. We can assume that maybe he was thinking, well, he's not the true Messiah, so, or he was just in love with himself, in love with money, or he was disillusioned about Jesus and the inauguration of the kingdom, and it led to his destruction. But we see the disciples, they, they put their faith in Jesus. I, I truly believe that they really believed that they were not going to turn away from him, but it is written. And they all fled. But we see Jesus is the one that preserved them. We see Jesus is the one that brought them in. My point is this. That is Jesus, the one that preserves us. We cannot preserve ourselves. We cannot secure ourselves. We needed the work of the true lamb in order to save us to sanctify us, to cleanse us. If you have not come to faith in Jesus Christ, if you have not put your faith in him, what are you holding on to? Because creatures showing many and many and many and many examples of what happened when we seek to enjoy the world in accordance to what I want, whether we seek to uh, forfeit our soul because we want the riches and the things of this world that eventually are going to pass away. Things will pass away. So my question to you is this. Have you obtained freedom by trusting Jesus Christ? Are you relying on your works and what you are doing? as a way to atone for your sin? Or are you relying on the preserving power of Jesus? Because as a believer, that's where I stand. There's nothing that I can do that makes me righteous with God. What makes me righteous with God? What cleanses it from my sin? What pays for my sin? It is the work of Jesus Christ in the cross. So will you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? For us who are believers in Christ Jesus, not only, here's the beautiful thing, and again, the limitation of the Passover, right? And the unlimited power of the Lord's Supper, what we are celebrating. The people of Israel, they really didn't change. The Lord gave them commandments to try to, it was, it was like a guardrail. It was to keep them walking on the right path so that when Jesus come, they could finally be free. But it was not sufficient enough. But when Jesus Christ come, for us who are believing in Christ Jesus, it's not only that we are spared from the wrath of God, not only are we cleansed from our sin, we are restored to God, we are restored to one another. 
But there's more. The blood of Jesus has way more power than that. All of us have struggles. All of us struggles we see in fear, doubt, marital strife, divisions. All of us struggle with the same thing that the people of Israel struggled during their time. But the blood of Jesus cleanses us from that. You know, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, I have many, by the way. You're going to hear me say that a lot. I have many. But it's from the book of First John, chapter 2, verse 1. John Rice is writing to his, to, to his disciples, to those who he serving. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus. He is the propitiation for our sins, not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. We have to begin confessing those things. If I struggle with, you know, one of the struggles that I have, I, I am, you know, I've, pride is a big thing on me. You know, I, you know, I honestly think I am the best at everything. I really do. I may not know anything about engineering, but I think I know more than you. That's, that's <laughs> me. That's me. You know, I may not know anything about writing a hymn, Calvin, but I'll think I'm better than you writing a hymn. That, that's me. Right? That's the effects of sin. But any moment that I have those moments, I'm confessing that to the Lord. I'm turning to him. Because that's the washing of the blood. That's why when we partake in the Lord's Supper, we, we confess. We confess those things because there's power in the blood of Jesus. So brothers and sisters in Christ, it's not that we are just saved from our sins, saved from the wrath of God, reconciled to God, reconciled to one another. But each one of us has things that we struggle with, all of us. Continue to go to the Lord. Continue to go to his blood. Let him wash you away from your sins. Lastly, it's a point of application to our lives. Let's look at the response from the apostles. You know, Jesus tells them, Guys, you're going to fall away. You are. You're going to fall away. And the disciples said, like, nah, how are we going to fall away? They're calling Jesus a liar. Jesus? They're calling Jesus a liar? Like, seriously? That's basically what they were saying. And instead, you know, we, we, one example is we see their response. Their response is, is few. By pride. It might be genuine, but if the one that's performed many miracles, washed your feet, has taught you how to be a servant to one another, is telling you, if when I'm strong, you're going to fall away, you better believe it. You better, all right, you're right. So instead of responding, even if they all fall away, I, I will die for you. Peter should have responded, let your will be done. Lord, preserve me in that hour. 
and allow me to return to you. And for us, there, there's moments in our life that we, we think that we, we have it figured out, that we, you know, like I said, I think I'm the best parent. I think I have everything figured out. No, I, I do not. So the Lord's been humbling me and said, no, come to me and look for help in others. Because that's why he has placed us in that community of believers. So rather than thinking that we have things figured out in our own, let's humble ourselves, go to the Lord. Second, accept his will. So recognize that we are unable to preserve ourselves. Second, accept his will. For he loves you. There is absolutely nothing that the Lord is doing in your life that is not working for your good. Even in the midst of accident, and car crashes, and sickness, and in pain, there's absolutely nothing where you've come to trust in Jesus Christ that the Lord is not doing for your good. So learn, let us learn to accept his will. It's not an easy task. Because we want to preserve ourselves. We want to protect ourselves. That is our default mechanism. But the more and more we we learn to accept the Lord's will, the greater and greater we're going to see the blessing that he has for our life, whether it's on this earth, but for sure when he returns. 100% when he returns. And confess. Confess any area that you are self-reliant, confess any area that you are seeking to preserve yourself. Because it's not doing any good. Absolutely. The only good that can happen is that someone had to sacrifice themselves for our sins in order for us to be free from our slavery. And we are free. And while we wait, we have to continue to fight, continue to repent, continue to trust in the Lord, and allow him to do the work in our life. The Passover was appointed to be the greater, sorry, the Passover was pointed to the greater sacrificial lamb, Jesus. His sacrifice is once and for all bring the new covenant a new kingdom, a covenant of grace, a covenant that's not relying on works, but a covenant in which we trust in the grace of God to get us to the finish line. We partake in the Lord's Supper as a remembrance of what was accomplished, looking forward with eager expectation to feast with the King. Looking forward to feast with the King. So let us set our hope, let us look forward to the day where he's going to return and finally be able to celebrate Christmas. I don't know, a million times better. I don't know how, how much greater. I mean, I think Christmas is the greatest celebration ever. So you may disagree with me, but I will say you're wrong. But um, yeah. <laughs> so let us pray. Dear gracious and heavenly Father, we are so thankful, Lord, that Passover as good as it was pointed to your coming, pointing to your return. Lord, you came and truly brought it through meaning of what the Passover was all about. 
pointing to finally when sin was going to come to an end and your blood was going to wash us from our sins. And I pray, Father God, Lord, that you will do a work in our lives that we will not rely on ourselves, but daily rely on you, Lord. Just thank you so much for your word and the work that he does in us. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we ask this, this, Father God. Amen.